From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, to Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages from the ministry of Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. On today's broadcast, Dr. Cairns will continue this series of studies in the life and earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of the great 19th century English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Our devotional for today is entitled Gift of Strength, Peace to Bless. The text is Psalm 29 and verse 11. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. David had just heard the voice of the Lord in a thunderstorm and had seen his power in the hurricane whose path he had described. And now, in the cool calm after the storm, that overwhelming power by which heaven and earth are shaken is promised to be the strength of the chosen. He who wings the unerring bolt will give to his redeemed the wings of eagles. He who shakes the earth with his voice will terrify the enemies of his saints and give his children peace. Why are we weak when we have divine strength to flee to? Why are we troubled when the Lord's own peace is ours? Jesus, the mighty God, is our strength. Let us put him on and go forth to our service. Jesus, our blessed Lord, is also our peace. Let us repose in him this day and end our fears. What a blessing to have him for our strength and peace both now and forever. That same God who rides upon the storm in days of tempest will also rule the hurricane of our tribulation and send us before long days of peace. We shall have strength for storms and songs for fair weather. Let us begin to sing at once unto God our strength and our peace. Away, dark thoughts, up, faith and hope.
As God's people prepare to enter into the Christmas season, they meet with much that distracts and detracts from what should be the main focus of this joyous time of year, the incarnation of God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often, the demands of holiday traditions and the increasing secularization of this special time obscure the glad news of the angels. Unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. To assist you in meditating upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, let the Bible Speak is happy to offer a unique publication called The Twelve Days of Christmas. Written by Roger Ellsworth, an experienced minister and writer, The Twelve Days of Christmas is a small paperback book containing 24 Christmas devotions, each including a short scripture reading and a concluding portion that draws lines of application from the text to modern-day life. The book is intended to help the hearts and minds of believers to focus on the wonder of the Incarnation, as well as to encourage unbelievers to come in repentance and faith to Christ. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to make this inspirational booklet available free of charge to our listening audience. You may have a copy simply by contacting us by phone, email, or regular mail. By phone, call 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. We encourage you to request your free copy of The Twelve Days of Christmas today. On this edition of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns brings the next portion of a message entitled The Many Faces of Saving Grace. The text is found in several portions of Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, which recount three episodes in the Savior's ministry, the raising of the son of the widow of Nain, the anointing of Christ by the woman named only as a sinner, and then the service rendered to Christ by a group of women which included Mary Magdalene. There is a strong contrast here between the doubts expressed by John the Baptist imprisoned in Herod's dungeon and these women who showed no reluctance in following and serving Christ. Dr. Cairns draws a lesson from these women that the greatest example of faith and grace does not necessarily reside in those who are most prominent in the church. In many cases, it is the prayers of the unnoticed that bring down God's power for the ministry of Christian leaders. 
Great power in prayer requires what those women embodied, total abandonment to God and His grace. Now Dr. Cairns continues this message, The Many Faces of Saving Grace. I was interested to read what Bishop J.C. Ryle, the first Protestant bishop of Liverpool, had to say about these women. He said, We can well imagine that the difficulties these holy women had to face in becoming Christ's disciples were neither few nor small, but none of these things moved them. Grateful for mercies received at our Lord's hands, they were willing to endure much for His sake. Strengthened inwardly by the renewing grace of the Holy Ghost, they were enabled to cleave to the very end. Then something, he says, that's humbling to all the men in the Church of Christ. It was not, and he emphasizes throughout this the negatives, it was not a woman who sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. They were not women who forsook the Lord in the garden and fled. It was not a woman who denied him three times in the high priest's house. But they were women who wailed and lamented when Jesus was led forth to be crucified. They were women who stood to the last by his cross. They were women who were first to visit the grave where the Lord lay. And Rilad's great indeed is the power of the grace of God. Never let any woman feel, I can't be a preacher, I can't be an evangelist, I can't be this, I can't be that, I'm only a housewife, I'm only a mother, I'm only this, or I'm only something else. Read these passages and you'll see that a woman who with reckless abandon lays everything at the feet of Jesus Christ is one of the most potent weapons in the war that God conducts against hell here on earth. One of the most potent instruments of biblical evangelism. One of the greatest instruments for lifting up Christ that God has ever given to His church. There's another use, of course, that these passages have, and that is as a reminder that often the greatest grace and faith do not reside in the most prominent figures in the church. Who would ever have guessed that while John the Baptist was doubting a woman out of whom Christ had cast seven devils, would have been expressing wonderful faith. Who would ever have guessed that while John was doubting, a prostitute would be converted and would suddenly be a blazing testimony of love, grace, and faith? 
You find this not only in this passage, but quite widely distributed in the New Testament. Peter and others like him get the limelight. And while I would not for a moment deny that men like Peter climbed to tremendous heights of dedication to God, truth is that in the New Testament church, there were always the Mary Magdalene's, or later in the ministry of Paul, for instance, the Phoebes, the people of whom we really knew very little, who could never assume the prominent position, but there was a prominent work of grace in their lives. Very often, as Paul teaches using the figure of speech of the body, in the body of Christ, it is the least noticeable member that is the most important. And again, let's realize what this is saying to you and me. The devil wants us to major on what we are not, what we haven't become, what we can't become, and therefore get us to give up hope of doing anything for God. I forget which old saint it was who prayed constantly, Lord, let me do something great for God before I go hence. That's a prayer that every one of us may pray. But remember this, great grace and great faith not only are not confined to the most prominent leaders in the church, but I am sad to say I think they are very rarely found to the greatest degree in those leaders. Those leaders depend entirely through the grace of Christ upon the multitude, the army of God's people in whom grace is greatly developed and faith has its mighty work. That's what carries the work on. The world sees the public figure. God sees the hidden reality. I've often given you the illustration of D.L. Moody's visit to London. And I do not for a moment question the eminence and the greatness of the grace of God and D.L. Moody. That would be a foolish thing to do. All I'm saying is that Moody didn't carry the blessing of God around with him like a wallet stuck in his hip pocket. When Moody went to London, in a little garret there lived two women. Only one of them could leave that room. They were by now old, one crippled and the other able to get about. But day by day they were praying for a mighty moving of the Holy Ghost in London, and they were burdened to pray that God would bring D.L. Moody to their church, and that there would be, through the great American evangelist, a marvelous moving of the Spirit of God. Moody did come to London and he visited their church. They didn't realize that he was there. One of them went to church and came home and said Moody was there this morning, and they gave the rest of that day to prayer. Moody did not intend to stay there. Moody did not intend to do anything much at that time. He was going on somewhere else. But God answered their prayer. 
and when a mighty move of the Holy Ghost broke out, the world could see the preacher. Only God could look into that little garret room and see the people who had really touched the throne of God. I remember my dad telling me when he was just a young Christian, a great preacher, and the 1920s were days of still great preachers. They abounded in Ireland. This great preacher came to preach what we call a mission in the the place my father attended. He preached, and apparently there was nothing happening. There was no move of God. Some of the older members here will remember before I took up the pastorate here many, many, many moons ago when we brought various preachers in from Northern Ireland. One of them was called Gordon Cook. Some of you may remember Gordon Cook. Small man who liked to sing. Gordon Cook's father, George Cook, was a trophy of grace. I'll not tell you his testimony now. I think I've mentioned it before. He was a trophy of grace. He was also best man at my parents' wedding. He was a very ordinary man. He was a lamplighter. He had little education, though when he walked around the streets lighting and putting out the lamps, people thought he was mad, for he was always talking to himself. He wasn't what he was doing, was memorizing Scripture. And he made up for his lack of education by his vast knowledge of this book. If you've got to trade one against the other, I'll take this any time. And uh, as he talked, he was also praying the Scripture. That great preacher sent for George Cook, and he said, Geordie, I want you, and he mentioned a couple of these other men. He says, I want you to come, and I want you to pray. I want you to get through to God for this meeting and for this mission and for this preacher. He recognized something, and he was dead right. These ordinary men had an extraordinary power with God in prayer. That night, God answered their prayers, and a host of people were saved, and the whole mission turned around. Great grace and great faith in ordinary people. I was preaching last June in our Balamina church. I would love to be able to bring you all to Balamina to teach us all how to pray. I sat in those prayer meetings before those services. Now you've got housewives, farmers, farm laborers, ordinary working people. There's nothing outstanding about the people, but they know how to pray. I've been going to Balamina for 40 years now, And I've always found this one thing about that church. When you walk into the prayer meeting, you walk into a prayer meeting like the like of which you have never known before. It hits you almost physically. These people 
know how to pray. It's not the words, because the words are very similar to the words we all use. It's not oratory. It's not education. It's not great talent. It is what I have called earlier this total abandonment to God and to His Christ. These are ordinary people in whom there is an extraordinary work of grace and faith. And what I'm saying to you is that when you look at these passages we have been reading this morning, there is a wonderful encouragement to the least of us. Because God is not in the business of merely isolating great talent or great ability. He's in the business of blessing people who go all out for him. Wasn't it Murray McShane who said, It is not great talent that God blesses so much as great likeness to Christ. That's what he's looking for. Oh, that God would advance a work of grace and faith in all our hearts then. And of course, we may use these passages as a challenge to the men of the church. The emphasis in these passages is not accidental upon the grace wrought in the lives of women. That's not accidental. I think in some ways it's somewhat prophetic. You look at most churches... And you'll find certainly in godliness and in prayerfulness and in dedication and devotion, there are more women than men. Why should that be? Why should it be? Why should it be women who are so busy looking after home and children and all the rest that goes with it? And they're not too busy to be in prayer meeting, but the man is an eight to five or eight to six or eight to seven job, and he's too busy to pray. Why should that be? Let it be a challenge to us. We can make all the excuses we like, but there is no valid reason under the sun why godliness should be at a lesser level in the men of the church, that the work of grace should be slower in the men of the church, that faith should be wanting in the men of the church more than in the women. It ought not to be. I get worried at a movement that's gaining popularity. It thinks it's reformed. It's deformed. It's not reformed at all. A movement that wants to ban women from praying in the church prayer meetings by misusing a couple of Paul's statements and overlooking other statements that Paul makes that want to ban them entirely. We have even had people infecting the free church with the same rubbish. All I can say is God help the church when its praying is devoid of the support of godly women. God help the church that shuts the mouths of people who, like these women, know what it is in abandonment of all they are and have to Jesus Christ, know how to lay hold of the throne of God. I trust that the man, including the preacher, We'll take the challenge, confess our sins before our God, and no longer be found wanting.
You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. 